You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, broadcasting from New York City. And today uh, on this episode, I'd like to take stock of, of course, the big news out of the Asia-Pacific region, which is the inaugural Quad Leaders Summit. Uh, This was a virtual summit that took place on March 12th, a highly anticipated development. But of course, this didn't really come out of nowhere, right? This is a development that has really been in the works for 14 years and possibly even longer if you wanted to go all the way back to the Indian Ocean tsunami in December 2004 after which the four countries, Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, came together to participate in the disaster relief effort. Um, But joining me today to help make sense of the significance of the summit in the current moment and sort of to reflect a little bit on the background of how we got here is um, Akriti Vasudeva, a research analyst with the South Asia program at the Stimson Center. Akriti, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ankit. It's a pleasure. Terrific. So let's begin by talking a little bit first about the path to this summit meeting itself. So, you know, I I, I talked a little bit about the older background in the early 2000s, which is important. But I think, uh, you know, we can trace the current iteration of the quad back to around November uh, 2017, when we had that first working level meeting in in, um, Manila on the sidelines of the ASEAN Cemetery that year. Can you walk us through a little bit about um, through the, you know, the process of what the quad has been up to since then and what exactly happened that led to the conditions coming into place for this summit in um, March 2021, where we are today? Thanks, Ankit. So I think on the history of the Quad, and particularly starting around November 2017, what immediately preceded that, as we all remember, was uh, the India-China standoff at the Doklam Plateau. And I think from my perspective, um, India has long recognized China as a long-term strategic threat, but um, because of the Doklam standoff and some of the preceding incidents uh, on the border at that time, for example, uh, the Dollar Big Oldie incident in 2013 and then the Chumar incident in 2014 had already alerted India to potentially uh, an increased Chinese threat in terms of more immediate Chinese threat on the border. And add to that, all of the tensions that were happening in the India-China relationship at that point, whether that was about uh, you know the nuclear suppliers uh, group bid that India was putting in for and China was sort of resisting, or China putting a technical hold on the designation of Masood Azhar as uh, you know an internationally recognized terrorist at the United Nations. All of that kind of uh, build up um, led to uh, sort of that was a background in which the, the Doklam standoff happened. And from the Indian point of view, I think particularly what happened then was a recognition that China uh, was a more of an immediate, uh, you know, medium, uh, short to medium term threat, and that India sort of needed to take actions to ensure that because it has a capability gap with China, that it is strengthening its partnerships with countries in the region that also have concerns about um, what China is doing. Uh, and, you know, we've seen it in the preceding uh, in the years since then, after the Doklam uh, standoff and then the summit in 2017. Um, sort of worsening relations between China and other countries in the region. We've seen particularly in the last year, Chinese uh, economic coercion of Australia. We have seen, um, you know, tensions uh, in the Senkaku Islands. We've seen um, what China sort of doing with Xinjiang and, and Hong Kong. And so I think all that is sort of a background for how these countries are seeing sort of increasing uh, Chinese combativeness uh, in uh, in its relations with its regions, whether in terms of territorial integrity or the militarization of the you know South and uh, South China Sea, and um, 
all that has sort of led these countries to now come to a point where they need, uh, you know, a grouping, a coalition like the Quad to essentially, uh, you know, address the challenges that China has created in the region, whether it's in terms of um, prioritizing international law, whether it's in terms of securing a maritime, uh, you know, rules-based order, whether it's in terms of seeking transparency, whether it's in terms of uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, countries are not, uh, being threatened by China, whether it's in economic terms or, you know, territorial terms. And that's sort of the background for uh, the Quad Summit today. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, everything you just said um, completely, I think, you know, aligns with um, you know, my understanding of how we've seen this alignment of threat perception sort of come into play. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the India-China angle is certainly, I think, an important part of the Quad story, I mean, especially because the U.S. Uh, the U.S. and Japan and U.S. and Australia are, are uh, treaty allies uh, in, in their dyads. India is, of course, the odd one out in many ways in the Quad. So this sort of process of aligning threat perceptions uh, under the Modi government, particularly since 2014, has, I think, been an important part of the story. Um, but, you know, the Quad is also, uh, as you all know, a famously misunderstood um, sort of grouping in uh, in the Indo-Pacific today. It's often called uh, an antecedent to some kind of Asian NATO, including most recently, I believe, by the Chinese foreign minister. Um, it is, of course, not an Asian NATO. It is not an alliance. Um, and I think the joint statement, uh, you know, my appraisal of the joint statement is actually quite positive because I think it helps... Yeah really send a message to skeptics of the Quad that these four countries are now coming together to offer the region something that is greater than the sum of their parts, right? And so, you know, instead of me explaining what we saw out of the joint statement, do you want to tell us what the main deliverables were from this uh, Quad summit that just happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I completely agree with you that I think uh, particularly the the big sort of deliverable out of the, the Quad summit was the vaccine initiative. This is potentially an initiative where uh, the US and Japan will invest in Indian manufacturing capacity to uh, make about 1 billion COVID vaccines. And then Australia will essentially help with um, logistics support on making sure that these vaccines are uh, delivered safely and training programs are done in countries like uh, in Southeast Asia or in the Pacific. So that's the big deliverable. And I completely agree with you because I think you know, the vaccine initiative shows that the Quad can leverage the comparative advantage of each of each of its members for the greater good. And that you know, the focus is not just on security as narrowly defined as hard security, but also on the health security, human security aspect of it. And in some ways, I do think this is a return of, you know, the Quad to its origins, because as you mentioned in, in the introduction, that the Quad has disaster relief beginnings, and it was about uh, jointly dealing with regional crises. So you know, 17 year, years later, we're sort of seeing a return of the Quad to providing public goods in the region. And I think this is also very significant, like I said, from uh, the point of view of countries in Southeast Asia and to an extent in the Pacific who viewed the Quad as, you know, merely rhetoric. And now this is really offering a concrete solution. So that was sort of the big, uh, you know, concrete uh, takeaway from the summit. But we have also seen that there are, uh, in addition to the vaccine manufacturing working group, there are two other working groups. One is on uh, climate change and the other one is on critical and emerging technologies. And I think that the latter one, the critical and emerging technologies, is really interesting because here what the Quad is talking about is essentially um, working together on setting standards for certain emerging uh, technologies in the cyberspace, uh, particularly uh, because of the concerns that these countries have about um, you know, Chinese uh, innovation or, or sort of Chinese uh, dominance in 
uh, in technology like uh, 5G and and um, information uh, sharing or, or intelligence, um, artificial intelligence, I'm sorry. And so what this means is that what these countries are essentially trying to do now is work together to ensure that China's not able to be uh, really dominant in some of these sectors because it, it impacts these countries' abilities to um, to get access to these, these critical materials and ensuring that there is, um, you know, this is sort of a common challenge that they're facing uh, together. Right, right. I mean, you know, just to just to reiterate, I mean, you know, in terms of interrogating my own blind spots, I mean, you know, if if last year in January, you know, a time traveler had told me what would happen with the coronavirus pandemic and then said that there would be a quad leader summit in March 2021 where, you know, the four countries would announce this sort of um, piecemeal division of labor on distributing vaccines in Asia, I would have been, I'd have been frankly blown away, right? So, I mean, it just, I just, you know, I think speaks to, first of all, the staff work that went in behind the scenes to sort of realizing this uh, kind of a summit. I think it shows, um, first of all, a sensitivity to, I think, the discourse in the region. And you're absolutely right to focus on Southeast Asia, where there's been a lot of concern that the Quad is turning into some kind of China-focused containment initiative. Um, And I think this is absolutely the right way to sort of handle that. But, you know, I mean, uh, for uh, we do see a lot of continuity with the Trump administration in many ways, right? I mean, the first paragraph in the joint statement titled The Spirit of the Quad emphasizes that the four countries bring diverse perspectives and are united in a shared vision for the free and open Indo-Pacific. We strive for a region that is free, open, inclusive, healthy, anchored by democratic values and unconstrained by coercion. Of course, you know, without naming China, the mention of coercion in itself, I think, you know, clearly indicates the kinds of behaviors that they're concerned about. But uh, also, you know, to focus on the global agenda of this quad statement, um, the focus on climate change is, of course, I think, a welcome source of change from uh, the Trump administration, which uh, certainly would never have, I think, agreed to a quad statement with this idea. Um, I mean, we can just look at the G7 statements under the Trump administration for sort of precedent. Um, how do you see the agenda for the quad developing there when it comes to uh, areas like climate change and other sort of common challenges in the region? Right. So just one point I wanted to make on, on the Trump administration and sort of, uh, you know, what yeah, preceded this summit. Uh, I do think that there was a, a lot of conversation in the Trump administration about, you know, vaccine development and about sharing best practices on dealing with COVID-19. This happened in the context of what has been termed as the Quad Plus. This was essentially you know, a coordination call that was um, initiated by the US at both the Deputy Secretary of State level and the Secretary of State level and involved countries like New Zealand, South Korea, Vietnam in one iteration and in other iterations involved Brazil, uh, Israel, and um, forgetting one other country. But I think uh, that is I do see some connection between that and how we've seen sort of the pace of you know cooperation develop because we've seen in the in the past six months essentially um, the fact that we've had two quad ministerial level meetings, one working level meeting, and one leader level summit across two different U.S. administrations that have you know different views on on many things. So I do think that there is some sort of continuity there mm-hmm. on future areas of collaboration between the quad. The, the quad, I think, um, a lot of ideas have been discussed at the expert level in sort of the quad, right? So uh, there has been a a conversation about maritime cooperation, about humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. Uh, There was also a tabletop counterterrorism exercise in 2019 and the October 2020 ministerial meeting actually had identified um, quality infrastructure investment, supply chain resilience, um, 
some of the items that we've seen in the summit um, have been have sort of continued from from that um, from that summit. But I think what what is uh, facing uh, the quad in terms of challenges on working on some of these issues is that one is you know you're not going to mir miraculously agree on everything from now on just because you had a quad leaders level summit. You know there is still uh, some gaps in the way that the, the the countries sort of approach certain issues. For example, you know on the same day. As a quad leaders level summit, we saw that the US, UK, and the EU were among the countries that voted against India and South Africa uh, on a proposal that was to temporarily waive intellectual property rights for COVID-19 vaccines at the um, at the WHO, uh, sorry, WTO. Um, and the other thing that uh, you know we need to consider is that uh, there is all this complexity in working in the quad setup. I mean, there are you know, four countries involved in this. And yes, they have come forward and they do have a common vision and interest in many of these things. But the, the means of doing that cooperation or the actual practical steps are sometimes very difficult. For example, on, you know, infrastructure uh, investment or doing, you know, development finance together. Um, all these countries have had large discussions about that in the past. There is an India-Japan-US infrastructure working group. There is a Japan-US-Australia a working group, but we've not seen much uh, progress on that. And that's because, you know, these countries are sort of still at different levels on trying to harmonize uh, their procedures and guidelines for working together in, in a third country. So I think what is uh, significant for me from, uh, from, you know, this summit is that uh, we, you, you know, you remember this from so many years of sort of passing through different statements by different countries, we've definitely come to a point where We've seen a very unequivocal, unequivocal, sorry, uh, commitment to the Quad uh, through this joint statement and through the op-ed that came out in the Washington Post. Uh, but I do uh, think that we still have to kind of work on the process of doing things together. You know what Tanvi Madan has called habits of cooperation. These four countries still have some way to go uh, to work on some of those more challenging issues. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the institutionalization, I mean, those habits that you referenced uh, are certainly, I think, something that the folks working on this summit uh, were aware of because they, you know, the final paragraph of the joint statement um, notes that they will institutionalize a foreign minister level meeting uh, once a year. And to my knowledge, uh, you know, that has happened sort of within the quad in the bilateral and trilateral setting even, uh, but it hasn't happened at the quadrilateral level yet, although de facto it did, given that we did, ha uh, we did have two foreign minister level meetings um, beginning in uh, 2019. Um, and then, of course, later this year, there will be an in-person uh, leaders level summit, uh, which I think will, you know, f firstly, I think be a very important photo op because I think, uh, you know, insofar as summits are important because of the photo ops they generate, I think this one fell a little flat because we did end up with pictures of all the leaders on their various screens uh, around the world, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, just looking forward, I mean, um, if you if you look at this joint statement and you look at the current moment right now with um vaccine diplomacy being sort of a uh, a very good way for the quad to sort of focus on a concrete way to d deliver value to the region. What other agenda items that maybe didn't make an appearance here, or at least maybe weren't so prominent in this statement, do you think will be drawn out at, at future iterations of the quad, if, if anything? Mm -hmm. So I've done some thinking about this, and I think one area that is a sort of a you know low-hanging fruit, and which has been discussed a lot at the quad level, is humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, because you know it is 
uh, a relatively less controversial um, aspect. It is about you know providing sort of greater public goods in the region. It is about collective security and and you know shared um, um, challenges that we all sort of face together. And something that um, I think we might see is more work uh, on that. If we can probably have some sort of um, humanitarian assistance disaster relief exercise at, at the multilateral level, some work that I've done on this in the past has been exploring countries working together on disaster management technology. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more on the supply chain and resilience aspect of it, particularly on uh, you know, semiconductors. There were some reports, for example, in the lead up to this Quad Summit that there is some uh, conversation or understanding that's happened at the Quad level on um, rare earths production, uh, because China is, again, dominant in rare earths production. And what the Quad is essentially trying to do is um, make sure that it can reduce its dependence on China and maybe offer a solution with these four countries together. And we know that Australia and, and India and US and Japan have capacity to do that. So we might see more uh, work in, in that area. I do think climate change, um, work on climate change is important to the Biden administration. So we'll probably see more work there, again, in terms of potentially uh, working on you know, climate technology or climate adaptation strategies or, or prevention and mitigation strategies as well. Mm -hmm. So on this podcast, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about India-China relations for obvious reasons uh, that I hope our listeners are aware of if they've been listening to, uh, a, you know, any more than one episode in the past few months. But I wanted to sort of ask you um, an India-specific question here, because uh, a, a common sort of concern that you'll hear in Tokyo, uh, Canberra, Washington, when it comes to the Quad is, you know, who is in many ways, the weakest link and, and the concerns that often come up are regarding India, right? Uh, the only non-U.S. Mm -hmm. treaty ally uh, in uh, in the Quad. Um, and, you know, I think if we look at the events of the last year, we obviously have a very interesting sort of shift in threat perceptions and even the politics of relations with China uh, and India have changed. So based on your vantage point, I mean, what is India's view right now of the long-term utility of the Quad uh, to basically, I mean, pursue its own interests in the Indo-Pacific, right? I mean, India, uh, you know, Indian Foreign Minister um, uh, Jay Shankar has, has repeatedly said that India is on its own side, um, which again, I think was taken by some quad skeptics as a sign of somewhat um, of, of disinterest. But what's your sense of how India sort of views the quad fitting into uh, its, its broader foreign policy these days? Right. So I think that this uh, summit really was an indication a continued indication, I would say, of how much India's calculus has changed on China and the Quad in, say, even the last four years, right? The, the, I think it's really significant that the Quad Summit happened on the same day as the meeting of the India-China Working Mechanism for Consultation on the border, um, and that while the disengagement process is still going on. And, and my sense is that, you know, there has been a realization in, in Delhi that any concessions that uh, they made to accommodate the Chinese position, whether that was on, uh, you know, keeping Australia out of the Malabar exercises or, or downplaying the Quad or having an inclusive vision of the Indo-Pacific, you know, those didn't yield any results on issues that India cared about vis-a-vis -vis China, whether that was resolution of the border, whether that was, you know, New Delhi's concerns about the China-Pakistan economic corridor or the trade imbalance between the two countries. So what what seems to be happening now is that, you know, 
What India is also probably noticing that the China is already saying that India is in the U.S. camp or it's part of an exclusive bloc like the Quad, and and that there's little that you know New Delhi can do or say to change that that Chinese mindset. So why not sort of gain you know the material and strategic benefits of cooperation with these countries um, to deal with the future contingency where there might be you know some sort of um, uh, conflict situation with, with with China, or at least making sure that India can catch up in terms of its defense capabilities and, and economic capabilities uh, with China, since there is such a disparity there. So you, you'll often hear um, Indian officials talk, talk about India wanting to be a five trillion economy. And um, I think uh, definitely the Quad plays into that, uh, wanting to make sure that India can shore up both its economic and defense capabilities um, to be able to deal with a future China challenge, but also deliver on it's, you know, regional and international obligations to countries in the region as sort of an alternative to to China. Absolutely. So, um, actually, before we close out, I did want to give you an opportunity. Uh, is there anything you think we missed with regard to the Quad Summit or the Quad Agenda that you'd like to uh, bring up before we close out? Um, nothing really. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Ankit. All right. Terrific. Yeah. Thanks a lot for joining me. This was this was really great. Uh, again, for listeners, uh, joining me is Akriti Vasudeva at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. So, Akriti, thank you so much. And I'll hope to have you back on to talk about uh, any and all things related to the quad and geopolitics in this part of the world. For listeners, if you like the show, but you haven't yet subscribed, please do so, so you can catch up with future episodes. And finally, if you've been a listener for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do so. It really helps get the word out about the show, and we really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back very soon with more on the Asia Geopolitics podcast.